and we're live. Einkask, I forgot to ask your name, but you're anonymous. I'm not going to put you on the spot, but Einkask, I'm going to call you. How you doing? Doing well. How are you doing, Caleb? I'm doing fantastic. I got window plan for the night for the podcast, people. It's going to be very simple. We're just going to talk Catholic, libertarianism, anarchy, the current events, this kind of super shit. It's going to be great. But first, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you become reborn away as Catholic or you convert? How did you find libertarianism? Give me the give me the origin story. Sure. So just um, briefly, I, I am strictly speaking a cradle Catholic. Uh, grew up in the church. Uh, looking back, I'm kind of embarrassed by my, my formation as it was. Um, drifted away a bit as I uh, as I grew up, and it wasn't really until I was in college that I that someone actually started showing me um, Aquinas, and I actually started to learn a little bit more about what it was I was supposed to be believing, and. Um, read some of his stuff, read some Thomism, started to understand better sort of what the, the foundations were for the faith and, uh, and sort of bitterly realized that I'd been, I hadn't really gotten that through my, through my formative years, um, but was hooked ever since. And then probably around the same time started finding, it was probably around the Ron Paul's 2012 campaign or a little bit leading into that, mm. had some friends that were sort of left libertarian leaning, um, and they sort of at least got me got me listening to to some of those ideas. Found Ron Paul. He, as he always does, gives credit to to von Mises and Rothbard, and that got me pointed towards the Mises Institute, and started reading and didn't really stop. <laughs> I hear that. It's that's one of the great things I was thinking about. It's like I love economics. I love Catholicism. I love libertarianism. I'm never gonna run out of books to read. <laughs> it's just for the rest of my life I'll be collecting books and I'm never gonna run out of books. It's a it's a and I have to credit you. I was like you mentioned starting to get into Hoppe a little bit. Um and you know was trying to figure out where to start and you're like, well, you know, Mises has all of it. So uh here's every here's every PDF you could ever want for free. Pretty much. So. Yeah, it's uh, I, I hate reading ebooks, but I also hate spending money. And so it's like a, it's a constant struggle between like so I just read the book online or so I spend twenty bucks and buy it. Yeah, I've I've I feel the same uh, dilemma, but I've definitely come down on the side of I'll just read the open up the PDF and read it on my computer, I've, I've, save I've a couple done, bucks. I've done the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I just I I don't know what it is. I maybe it's gonna get distracted. The ADHD and you mean you know I'll be on I'll be reading the PDF and like one notification I'm never going back to it. It's over. Sure. But so uh, Thomas Aquinas, yeah. Um, that's kind of how I found Casal. It was Bishop Barron, and finding out I didn't have to read the Bible literally to be a Christian. Uh, screw you, Ken Ham. But <laughs> finding him, and he mentioned Aquinas, like, who's this nerd? I looked into it. I'm like, oh, this guy's really, really, really cool. And I just kind of, from there, found everybody in the Catholic apologetic space and was like, well, any question I have or any objection I have has been solely debunked and disproven, and they were right on everything. Like I, was, I couldn't, I couldn't formulate any objection to anything they were saying. Yeah, and that, that's what was, that's what really hooked me is, and it's, I, I just find it so embarrassing that it's not front and center in every, that the, that I could that I could grow up Catholic and not know anything about Saint Thomas. Yeah, that, that because there is such a deep scholarship and just and it's so, and similar to what what drew me to libertarianism is you have this this principle thinking is okay here's the here's what we know to be true, what does that tell us? And St. Thomas takes that and goes, you know, starts with Aristotle and, and reads Aristotle very deeply and, and goes through and, and gives his proofs of the existence of God, which, you know, why is this, why is this not constantly harped upon? Um, but, oh, the, but I, just go ahead. I love how people say things like, um, 
quantum physics is like um I saw an article a while ago something like quantum physics is like um due to recent updates in uh un- breakthroughs in quantum physics we have now disproven Thomas Aquinas arguments for God and they they haven't even they haven't even disproved it but I'm like it took them this long to formulate a proper response to Thomas Aquinas arguments for God and even then they're just saying well see this is purely random it's like are you gonna stop investigating and just say well it's random and give up no we're gonna try to figure out why okay they haven't disproved Aquinas yet. It's just so clear. One, they don't understand St. Thomas. Two, they don't understand quantum mechanics. Yeah, and, and and they don't understand any of the. It's and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go, go way too deep down the rabbit hole here. Mm-hmm. But if you if you understand physics correctly, you know if you start with Aristotle, who really sort of gave us the ideas of how we understand physics, mm-hmm. and you move through those ideas that are so clear and are and are necessary to even get quantum physics. The idea that quantum physics could even be discovered without understanding what Newton knew before him, what knew before we do now, and what Aristotle knew 2,000 years ago, that you have these fundamental truths that you needed to get quantum physics, and then somehow quantum physics can disprove those. It's it's this, it may, it may, it's it's logically inconsistent to say that okay, I need Aristotle to get quantum physics, and then quantum physics tells me why Aristotle's wrong. Then you don't have quantum physics anymore. Yeah, there's it's, quantum physics is this like they're trying to find I can't they call it, like this particle that like is this the god particle or the creation particle, or is this like you're trying to? It is it's scientific reductionism. I it's so it's quins. It's already it's quins. Scientific reductionism is quins. Well, yeah, and and it's important to to realize you know there's quantum mechanics obviously works like you know I mean, yeah. the, the 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 modern world gives we have all the technology we have because these things work correctly, yeah. but it's so obvious that people don't understand it that you can have some some pop science article that thinks quantum physics says something that it absolutely doesn't say, mm-hmm. but because they don't want to it's it's I mean it's obviously a very difficult field to understand yeah. And no modern understands Aristotle, and virtually none of it. It's, it's we we're because of this reductivism you're talking about. We've gone so far away from that kind of fundamental understanding mm-hmm. that you you can't consistently give the arguments they think they're making. Is they sort of have these stories they tell themselves. You know, some smart physicist at some point told them something about quantum mechanics, and they kind of understood it, but not really, because the physicist kind of understood it, but not really, and understood it enough that you know we can make a cell phone work, but doesn't really quite understand what he's saying. And then you sort of write this mathematical poetry and then try and pretend you understand what that says. And, and yeah, yeah, you, you lose so much understanding of what, of what should be common sense. Yeah. Like you're talking about, you were talking about randomness. And I think this is, this is such a big thing. The idea of random doesn't really, like if you, if you understand the world, random just means there's something I don't understand here that I'm not accounting for and just saying, okay, you know, when you flip a coin, you can call that random. Yeah. It's not random, but you don't know what it's going to do. And that's all you can ever really mean by random, yes. and then but and they and they try they try and make randomness this this actual thing that can exist or that can affect things, mm-hmm. and they don't realize the the abstractions they made along the way. I told I you this would be a rabbit hole. My apologies. No, that's all right. I get down to like that bottom level, like the quarks, and I get to the very bottom level and say, "Well, see, this is purely random because every time you look at it, it spins differently, and we can't account for it. Therefore, it's random." It's like, are you going to stop investigating? No, we're going to try to figure out why. But then you can't answer and say it's random yet. It's random because you don't know, like you said, but it's not purely random, which is impossible. As of right now, as of its current understanding allows us, it's but not not even that. Pure randomness is not a, is not a logically consistent concept because pure randomness would mean a causal. It means something came into being without being caused by something else. Yeah. So I mean, you can you can have things that, like I said, you got things you don't understand. Maybe there's things that we can't figure out why it's happening the way it is, but it has to happen right. for a reason. The, the world does not does not behave irrationally. That's right. But but again, because the you can write down the pretty equations and you can give you math that says, okay, yeah, we can we can have this element of randomness built into our equations, 
they think it's built into the reality because they don't the they same, can't distinguish reality from the equations they write down to describe it. The same problem exists in economics. Thomas De Lorenzo told a story about this guy who wrote a um an economic formula that represents the meat market. And the mm-hmm. guy walks up and like, I work in meat market, sir. This represents nothing in reality. And the guy <laughs> is like, I don't care. I care more about my formula. And it's like this is um it's empiricism taken to the extreme without common sense. Exactly. Exactly. And it's and it's it's been so effective because again, it gives us right answers. Like, you know, if you, if you, and even as, as much as we, as, as, uh, I don't know if you consider yourself an Austrian economist, but as we, as libertarians fund that kind of economics, as we understand the limits of any kind of modern economic theory, it, it, it does produce something. The equations do have some relevance, even if trying to apply them or trying to manipulate them or trying to tune them to try and get the desired results is either impossible or undesirable. They work to some degree. And in physics, you have that problem a thousand fold more. The, the equations obviously work, right? I mean, the modern world exists because the equations are telling us something, but we don't know what it is they're telling us. So when we try and, just like with economics, we try and go back and say, okay, what does this actually mean for what actual people do? Mm-hmm. We have no clue. Yeah. Real quick, I want to get into this. I love your profile pick, Ayn Rand holding a cross. I'm pretty sure to do, I would burn her alive if he did take <laughs> a cross. Um, it was the funniest thing. I started. I started making the the image, and it just it kept crashing my computer for a couple of times. I don't know what the issue was. I think it was just her ghost uh, uh, trying grave, to rebel. Ayn Rand. I like Rand. I like objectivism. I have a friend. I have friends who are objectivists. I've had them on the podcast. I read the virtue of selflessness, and I'm like, I like some of this. The Fat One Head, I think, is a really good book. Not so much Atlas Shrugged. But when you get to the actual like philosophy side of it. Like I read her epistemology, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, I, I find this lacking. <laughs> like, if you read uh, anyone from the thing, um, what's his name? Zach Martin, who was the 20th century neo-Thomist, who wrote the book called Degrees of Knowledge, which is basically this Thomistic epistemology. Mm-hmm. He's a much better case for having a solid epistemology than anything Rand wrote about it. And it's just like, I like Rand, but he's so, he falls short in so many ways. Yeah, and I think it's, it's, Especially as a Catholic, I think it's important to sort of realize what her contributions were. I mean, her her great quote about the the only philosophers worth reading are the three A's: Aristotle, Aquinas, and Ayn Rand. Um, and I, and to a large extent, I think she's probably right with the first two at least. And I think she, I I think I appreciate her her writing a lot more than her philosophies. I think she makes a lot of very complicated ideas that were you know, virtually dead for a couple hundred years. And you think about how much, how Thomism sort of disappeared um, from the church and from the world at large for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. And she read it, and I think she got it in a way that people hadn't for the longest time. And, mm-hmm. and she didn't get it perfectly. Like you said, there's a lot lacking there, but she was able to sort of get these, these ideas and this, and this rational basis for what we think things back into the minds of people. And I think it's, it's incredibly beneficial and I think incredibly useful to, to read and understand her. Okay. And like you said, and, and, um, to realize where it is that she falls short and, and the things that she didn't quite get. Yeah. She is the only modern, I would say the only modern philosopher who actually came up with something new that was useful. I feel like anyone else that's new, like postmodernist, modernist, or the, or the post-structuralist, or like Deleuze, there's interesting things there, but out of pure, like actually being useful, I don't think there's much usefulness to those people. I think one of the useful things to read out of them. I think useful, but also I think she's the first person in a, or the first sort of philosopher that we talk about in the modern era that was actually doing philosophy. Yeah, that she's trying to understand what it is that we know and how we know it. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember who the quote is, who it's from. 
someone in the 20th century was said being basically all of all of philosophy has become either bookkeeping or or literature analysis or behavior and it's it's turned into this sort of weird pseudo sociology or psychology or or just or just you know um semantics with and word games well whereas so much of modern philosophy bugs me it's like the the kind of like materialists where they pick up a glass and throw it at the wall, and I'll say, "Why did you do that?" And they're like, "Well, the no one's fired in the brain that made my omelet and throw the glass and the glass shattered." And it's like that's that's an explanation of how. That's not a why. And a mm-hmm. lot of my philosophy is just hows and no whys. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, and I, th- I think the other thing that that Rand did so well, and I think that that she's spot on, is that she realizes the place to start any kind of thinking and thinking about why you do things or what it is you should do has to come from, from your reason is you have to understand what it is. Okay. What, what is, what am I, what is, what am I, what, what is good for me? And then what do I do to try and pursue that good? Yeah. And like you said, a lot of philosophy just goes, well, you know, okay, if my neurons are following this way. And if I decide mm-hmm. to take this reading of this text, or if I just, and, and it's all, it's all relative and subjective and sort of floating on, on nothing. And what, um, Rand gets by going back to Aquinas and going back to Aristotle is, you know, she actually is standing on solid ground because she's standing on reality mm-hmm. and, and modern philosophy has sort of given up on the, even the idea of reality, which, yeah. um, you know, itself, you know, because they're talking about the idea of reality instead of reality itself, they're already, they've, they've lost, they're, they're, they're never going to be able to come up with anything interesting or new or novel or true because mm-hmm. they're not starting with anything true. They're starting inside their heads. I heard a postmodern say, that if a kid thinks the rocket ship is flying, then the rocket ship is flying, because the kid that's the kid's subjective view of reality. And I'm like, okay, I'm not. I hear people say sometimes I talk to people, I hear them say things, and I'm like, I'm not even gonna just. You're not worth it. They're not worth debating. You hear people say, you're like, I don't want to gauge. I don't find value. <laughs> but it, I mean, that kind of thinking is so endemic in in culture in general but i think we're sort of stuck with it because what they'll do is they'll, you'll try and interrogate okay how could you possibly think this and they'll end up telling you oh yeah quantum mechanics tells me that you know what's what's the i, I can't remember who it was it was einstein and somebody were having an argument and, and then just he ends up grabbing him and shaking him. he's like do you, do you really think the moon isn't there when you're not looking at it and and a, and a, and a modern um student of physics would probably say yeah yeah don't, quantum mechanics has proved that the moon doesn't exist unless you're looking at it and is and and is cat sort of cat nonsense so. exactly, but but it's but that's become ingrained in in our thinking and our culture's thinking, and I think it affects us even if we even if we reject it um, explicitly. There's a lot of that subjectivism that's sort of living in the back of our heads. We're like, well, okay, yeah, well, maybe the physicists know what they're talking about, or maybe they 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 sort of get something because I certainly don't understand it. Yeah, and so that so much of. And I think this, this honestly comes up a lot of with with left libertarians and some of the the Twitter arguments I've seen recently, is there's this subjectivism that's just again not not based in anything like reality. Mm-hmm. Okay, we like you know the 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 world does exist. The rocket ship is moving or it isn't. Yeah. But that there's we we've we've lost touch with yeah. Okay, we can we can say and know true things. Absolutely, it's. I, well, I who said it recently. I was talking to some of my friends on Twitter. And I was saying that it's like objective truth does exist, but at this point in time, I don't see any value in arguing for because objective understanding is so what people take subjective understanding and mean they have personal truths that I am at this I'm better at arguing using I'm better at arguing my objective truths, hence the objective truth and try to convince them that I'm right. That I am if I, if I don't use the word objective at all. Like if I say my subjective truth and here's why I think this is right, they're gonna actually listen to me because I'm speaking their language and they're gonna end up agreeing on objective truth with me because we've agreed on this. 
but they're gonna just not. If I say objective one, they're gonna be out, which is frustrating. It's and it's it's a tragedy because because um, oh my god, I'm losing my train of thought. So it, the the thing that's so just awful about that kind of about that kind of thinking is there you how do you make the argument like how do you even have a conversation with someone if you don't agree in objective reality yeah. because i mean you, you certainly you agree that there's someone there that you're talking to you guys are seeing the same things you guys are speaking the same language you're assuming the words mean the same things there's something objective that's underlying the discussion you're having yes and and you're and you both are able to contact that objective thing. Like there is an objective reality. You're both able to be in touch with it in some way. And if if you're if you're trying to deny that, just any kind of rational argumentation or logical thought just seems impossible to me. And and that's why you see so many people that think so many weird contradictory things. Yeah. Because they don't assume that they know that the world exists. Who was I think it was uh, it was Matt Frad of Pines was a client, and he was um I think he was like say it was weird from fifteen to eighteen. He believed, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but like reality didn't exist when he didn't look at it. And he mm -hmm. saw everyone, is, everyone in his life was a figment of his imagination and that nothing was real. And it like drove him crazy. And I'm like, that is such a, I know people who probably think like that and that they just live with it. And I'm like, that is a scary thought to think someone's life. They just accepted the fact they can't, they accepted the fact that they don't believe they can prove their friends exist outside their, their, their view. And it's like, yeah, that's got to be, a, that's got to fuck with your mind. If, I mean, if you think about it for two seconds, it does have to. Like you said, he, he drove himself crazy this way. And that's the only conclusion. That's the only thing that can happen if you try and think deeply about this. Like if you try and, if you try and start with the assumption that I don't know that reality exists, I don't know that things are there when I'm not looking at them. Mm -hmm. I, you know, this sort of solipsism where I, I don't know that anyone else even exists. If that's where you're starting from, if you think deeply about it, you're going to end up driving yourself insane. And yeah. so, and, and people sort of stop themselves short and sort of, you know, they, they implicitly realize the real world exists, but they can't really let themselves go through and try and mm -hmm. think critically about it because they'll end up driving themselves completely mad. Yeah. It's, who was it? Uh, this, is why, this is why I like Ayn Rand's A is A, not A equals A, not A plus A, A is A. Right. It's like reality exists and now you have to, that is a starting point. Uh, I think that's a great point. That, that is the starting point of philosophy, in my opinion, is that reality does exist. That's the starting point of knowledge. It's it's the, literally yeah. the first thing you know is that things exist. Yes, and 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 any any attempt to try and understand anything without starting there is like if you don't have that as your basis, what you have is meaningless. Mm -hmm. What was it? I was watching. Um, you ever hear the show called Saints versus Scoundrels on EWTN? I'm familiar with it. Okay, I I found I went I've been wanting to watch it. I can't find the episode anywhere. So I went to EWTN and paid money for the subscription service to watch uh, Thomas Aquinas debate Rene Descartes um, in costume, and it was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> um, but I've actually I've never understood Rene Descartes. I think therefore I am nonsense until I saw it in this video, and I'm just like, wow, this rejecting of the senses in reality and starting with I think therefore I am. And they well pay all the between like he's clearly saying God said uh, I am the great I am I am who I am and is it saying that I think that's who I am there's a parallel between that and when they call it's very telling to what he was trying to do and it's like he's he really ruined a lot of philosophy I think which is with Zexit of the senses oh no I, I think you can you can trace pretty much all of, all of what's wrong with science and with philosophy. I mean, not necessarily all of it, but I think so much of that starts with Descartes. There was a, um, 
I can't remember who it was on Twitter that was talking about this, but but Kant comes up occasionally, and obviously Kant. I think Rand called Kant like the most evil man that ever lived. Yeah, but but what Kant was doing was trying to make philosophy as clear as Descartes had made math. Mm-hmm. Like Kant, Kant was just saying, "Oh, Descartes," because again, something was right about what Descartes was doing mathematically. His philosophy was completely insane, mm-hmm. but you know the 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 math we get from Descartes leads to everything else that we've got now. There's something really powerful in what he did and and, and people realized it very quickly. Mm-hmm. And Kant's like, okay, wow, what if we do the same thing for philosophy? And that's and, and then if you look at the, the basis for Kant's thinking, it really is, it's this Cartesian insanity, this Cartesian doubt mm-hmm. that sort of underlies everything. Yeah. That we can't we can't know the thing itself. We can and and critique of pure reason was that was the first philosophical book I ever read. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was an idiot because I, I realized so later that uh, Kant, was, Kant was a terrible writer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went to philosophy later, I'm like, oh, this actually makes sense. Oh, Kant is a really bad writer. I'm not stupid. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I suspect, and I, I, I don't want to throw Kant more into the bus than, than we've already thrown him. You kind of have to be a terrible writer if you're going to have bad ideas. Because <laughs> if, if, you, if you can write clearly and you write clearly about bad ideas, people will realize they're bad ideas. If you can write real, if you can write really poorly but make it sound intellectual, you can you can present bad ideas and have people sort of listen to them for a second. There is there's a um, uh, a really good book um, called Fashionable Nonsense mm. by Alan Sokol and I, I can't remember who his co-author is. Oh, but what? Yeah, <laughs> you know, fashionable I nonsense. I don't have a notebook on the table with me so I can write down on a book when it come up. But what they do, and they're, they're coming from sort of a, a science physics uh, background, and they go through and they read a lot of different uh, postmodernists and I think some Italian feminists are in there, but sort of 20th century philosophers that are trying to use science sort of to, to justify a lot of their insanity. Mm. Um, and, they, and they go through and debug. It's like, no, science doesn't say this. No, science doesn't say this. No, this is stupid. But the thing that they keep saying over and over again is, is they'll be the, the, whichever philosopher it is will have some very bizarre idea and they'll go through and they debunk and say, okay, either what this, per- this person can be saying one of two things, because this is kind of Mott and Bailey argument, but either they're saying something that is, that is incredibly profound and 100% wrong or something that is, that is incredibly obvious and correct, but they write in such a way that you can't tell which it is. <laughs> uh, I- and then and, and there's, there's an art to writing like that. Mm-hmm. And I probably, you know, I think Khan would be the one who one of the originators of this idea. Mm-hmm. But that if you just if you can make your ideas sound complicated enough and have sort of grains of truth in there, you can say some very ridiculous things and people won't realize how stupid those th- the things you're saying are mm-hmm. until they can go through all the work of untangling what it is that you said. Who who was it? There was some guy recently with Watson, one of the like new atheist types, and he was going off on all these tangents. And I was thinking about like, I don't think you said anything in the last five minutes. Like you still going? I don't think you actually said anything. I can't remember who it was. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't. I want to say it was Sam Harris, but Sam Harris makes he speaks normally, but he doesn't say. He still doesn't say anything. Sure. Um, oh, I remember. Did you, ever, did you ever read the book The Moa Landscape by Sam Harris? No, I've not read any of Harris's okay. stuff. Okay, so um, I wasn't an atheist, but uh, Sam Harris was, was was my favorite atheist until I actually found good atheists. What's well, all good? They're all good atheists who actually have like, like I like a, what was it? A couple skeptic on YouTube. I like him. He's a, he's a good atheist. Mm-hmm. Um, not the only one. Uh, but Sam Harris' book in *More Landscapes* basically, well, through science we can devise like what things are best performed at their function 
and that we can draw a moral landscape out of those um, deductive reasoning, and that we can create a uh, basically. But it's not natural law. He has to repeat that a bunch in the book that it's not a natural law theory. But it's basically a natural law theory. Yeah, I, th- I think I think the idea of natural law is so is so anathema because, uh, and that's I think that's ultimately what they want. What you have to end up doing is if you want to try and get more, uh, some kind of moral rules from somewhere, they have to come from somewhere. And where can they come from? But nature, <laughs> from your nature. But of course, you do say, okay, well, yeah, this is this is the way things should be for these you know predictable, understandable, rational reasons. If you're doing it well, you just redirive natural law philosophy, which which they have to has to be you know okay can't do that because that's what religious people sort of had that as their basis for morality. We can't possibly use that. That's why I love Wasbach's ethics of liberty. He was an atheist, but he still wrote a natural law treatise, which is uh, interesting and it's pretty good. It's a pretty good natural law treatise. Um, that's actually that's kind of from philosophy, kind of like political philosophy and uh, anarchism. So Catholic and an anarchist. Are you a right wing anarchist? Would you say, or are you more of a uh, anarchist that labels? So I, I don't think I understand well enough what right wing would mean in that context. Like, it's I can sort of identify a bunch of right wing values and say, yeah, I probably agree with those. Right wing to me doesn't seem like a coherent ideology. Like, I just I, I couldn't say, okay, this is what what would if you were to give me some novel you know political divide and say, okay, you know which side would right wingers be on, which side would left wingers be on. I don't know if I can answer that question. Yeah, you know, for for ones that exist, okay, yeah, right wingers think this, right wingers think this. So I, I think probably on most of those kinds of issues, I'd probably side with people that would, would call themselves right wing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't think I, I understand deep enough what right wing even means. Yeah, yeah it's, I was talking about this with a friend of mine at work, and it's like drawing a right right left distinction is so hard nowadays. Because for example, I would say Ben Shapiro is left wing for me. Um, but someone says you're an anarchist, therefore you're inherently left wing, and it's like, okay, well, I don't think that's the case. I think the only word I think it was uh, I think Jay with in democracy, the Hopian guy. I mm-hmm. think he said it's um, I think it was Curtis Yarvin. It's hierarchy and uh, versus egalitarianism. It's order versus chaos. I think that's really the best way to draw. It's like, are you okay? Do you accept natural hierarchies as being good and beneficial, or do you reject hierarchies in favor of egalitarianism? I think anyone who kind of chooses egalitarian over hierarchies falls in the left wing category. And yeah, I think that like, I think that is a good distinction. And with that in mind, I mean, like if you're going to phrase it as order versus chaos, the I think the only rational answer is order. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, you know, going back to something like Aquinas or understanding where morals come from, what being is, you know, being is ordered. You know, when we were talking about randomness, randomness isn't a thing inherently. Chaos isn't a thing inherently. It's an, it's an absence of a thing. It's an absence of order. So, to, if, so it, and I don't think people think about it in these terms. But if you're if you're pro chaos, you're pro something lacking something. You know, quite literally, you are pro evil in a in a very um, physical sense. Because mm-hmm. something is, if something is lacking the order that is proper to it, it's evil mm-hmm. <laughs> by definition. It is it's some some evil has befallen a thing that is missing order that it should have. And so, if you were if you were in favor of chaos, you were in favor of things not having the order that they're supposed to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the whole, like the uh, I was gonna say, uh, I've, I've been reading a lot of Curtis Yarvin recently, kind of going down mm-hmm. that whole post. Not, not, he's not really a post libertarian, I would say, but he's just he is kind of he was kind of the first guy to kind of go past libertarians going this neo reactionary route, and the whole. Um, God, how do you put it? Like the company town uh, corporate monarch system, who talks about, I'm like that seems pretty orderly. 
Like, I would live under that. It's a man well, you're not anarchy submitting yourself to a volunteer to a king. And it's like, okay. I it, it'd be happy. It's voluntary. I think some anarchy some anarchists take the idea that for me, anarchy it means voluntary. And for some anarchists it means no rulers, no gods. And it's like it's I get what they're I get where they're coming from, but I think in modern sense, anarchy really can boil down to voluntarism, which I think is a better way of explaining what we, but right, at least what right wing anarchists believe. I would agree completely. You know, no, I think I think voluntary, um, yeah, voluntarianism would be a much better description of it's not roll off the tongue easy, so no one uses it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I don't, I think it, it lacks a lot of the the I don't know meme power of of mm-hmm. anarchism. Um, but I'd say I mean, even if you look at some of the the left anarchists and you look at some of the 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 ancoms and some of the early anarchists that were very clearly not right wing, um, and I, I I think some of their understanding might be lacking in some cases, but they're clearly in favor of voluntarianism. Like yeah. they they it's there isn't um, whatever order there is isn't imposed from outside. It's 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 internal to the to the group, and even if it's just at a very low level. Yeah, and I, 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 on that note, I think that's probably one of the things they really don't understand is that there is such a thing as a natural order to to society, and there are hierarchies that exist naturally and that are not bad things. It's when, and that's when we say, you know, order versus chaos. Okay, if you could, you can imagine, you know, you have this very regimented society that looks very orderly, but that's not that's not a real order because it's mm-hmm. not it doesn't it, it's not uh, emergent from the from the people in it. You know, a, a real order is one that comes from from who we are. It's the yeah. one that we construct internally. Imposing order from outside isn't really order. Is you're yeah. you're you're like, breaking the order that's supposed to be there and replacing one of the things one. required for order is it has to be flexible. And when you start mandating order, people rebel, and that's not like you can't have order when you force it. People rebel. The order has to be long. Order has to last. You know, like I think one of the requirements for it to be actually be a true sense of order, it has to have some kind of longevity to it. Like you could say everyone. And if it's a bank robbery and everyone's being told to sit still and not do anything, where's peace and it's order there? It's not peace, it's order, but that's at gunpoint. It's not going to last. I don't think that's a healthy form of order. But like order from a voluntary association with like a covenant community, that's a good kind of order. And it could last longer than a encampistan style. And uh, <laughs> people just live in the yeso and constantly having like, well, I, I, sh-. what was it? Um, the homeless guy shit on that corner of the park before he owns it now. Like, it's just. It's, <laughs> You go start to go too far outside. Like you started to put the cart before the horse. This is uh, anarchy philosophy, and you're like, what's the goal here? Is it to have like property rights or to have order? And I think it's to be leading towards order. Yeah, I'm, I, so I'll, I'll um, be a little pedantic here, and I think I think being goal oriented is probably not the not the best approach here. You know, like the one of the beautiful things that that I think a lot of libertarian theory or, or anarchist theory has done is shown. Okay, if, if we if we do these things, we're going to end up with a pretty fantastic society. Things are going to look really good. And that's, that's wonderful. And that's great. But I don't, but that's not the starting point. The, the, the question of how we should order society or how, what kind of structures and hierarchies we should have should come from a principled understanding. Okay. What, what's the natural way that, that human beings should order themselves. And what we see, you know, it's, 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 I haven't seen a, a really rigorous sort of demonstration that, yeah, okay, the NAP is, is, you know, logically follows from what we are as people, but it, it makes a lot of sense that, okay, I, you know, yeah. I can demonstrate I have free will. I can demonstrate that I can own things that I can possess things that I can manipulate. So if you're, if you're infringing on that, you're doing some evil to me. Yeah. So how, it how seems was the uh, argumentation ethic for self-ownership, you know, like it's self-ownership <laughs> self-proving. I think it's a very solid way of saying any, any argument gets is going to be a contradiction. I think it's the yeah. way like, to draw your starting point from. Is I've, I've, 
I've read his article because that, that's from the that's the Liberty Magazine article, right? Where he goes. I think the, so. I've read it. I've read it once. I need to read it again. It left me pretty cold. I, I, it's it's and just because I, I and then again it's it's very technical and very deep and there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. But I was I was not blown away because like, I, I looked I it up because it's like it's, it's exactly the sort of thing that I would love to see. But I I need to read it again because I it was I did not find it very persuasive. So, all right, I'll send you a link. I did a podcast with Stefan Kinsella, um, mm-hmm. and it was on excuse me on a explaining like I'm five argumentation ethics, and so it's just a uh, let me get this up here and send it to you. It's a very simple, uh, basic understanding of it. And sure. I think uh, some people kind of put too, they, they they put too much value in it. So mm-hmm. my thing with argument is it doesn't really prove what it wants to say to prove. It does it, what it, all it really does prove is that any argument against self ownership is going to have a inherent contradiction in it. But it's not going to be the right. best argument for for self ownership. It's just going to prove you can't argue without non contradiction. It reminds me of the arguments against free will. Mm-hmm. As you'll you'll see, and and I remember that was one of the most profound things that because it, it's it's so intuitive and so obvious when you hear it, but it's it, people don't you know you'll hear people argue that free will doesn't exist, and it's like okay, but so you I mean you're you are choosing to have this argument with me, aren't you? Like you you have decided that you don't think you have free will. How, what made that decision? Where did that decision come from? Like you, I'm not, if if you're if you're trying to argue that you're not actually you don't believe that you're capable of making an argument. <laughs> I guess this, this is sort of the argumentation ethics argument, yeah. but yeah, it's it's it makes it certainly impossible to argue against. Mm-hmm. Um, but how to, oh yeah. So, but if we, the, I think the goal should be, okay, is, you know, can we, can we make these, these conclusive like Aquinas did? Can we show conclusively? Yeah. You know, the, the NAP is the, is the moral correct way to do things. This yeah. is the right. And, you know, we've done a lot of work saying, okay, if, if, if we do these things, it'll look pretty great. Um, you know, socialists thought that, that socialism would be pretty great too, but because they didn't base anything on any kind of principled understanding of, of how the world works or what humans are, they were really wrong. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think, I think it's, it's, I find it very important to make sure that we're basing the, what we do on what, what we understand to be moral, not what we think is going to be the, the, the ends don't just necessarily justify the means Yeah, is we should, we should make sure that our, that our means are just and are moral and the ends will work themselves out. Yeah, I think there's um, there's a limit there. Like, what was it? I think it was. I can't remember where it came from. But Ace Arcus, Ace Arcus on Twitter says that um, it is better to suffer evil than commit evil. And I, I get where he's coming from, but I think there's got to be a limit somewhere on that line. Because I also I'm like defining any government, any action against. Um, I put this. He would say any action taken by the state is uh, evil because it's done out of step and it's done against plus principle. I would not be so quick to say that, um, and so I wouldn't necessarily say using a state for a, for a, a state used for a positive end is evil. But I get where he's coming from when he says, it's, "I think he's right. It's better to suffer even to commit evil." But like, if, you, if, you, if the evil is too loose, you're going to start saying a lot of the evil when they aren't. I think it can be a problem with some anarchists. Yeah, I mean, you have to understand what evil is, yeah. and he's. I mean, he's absolutely right that that it's better to uh, to suffer evil than to commit evil. You know, because I mean. Um, you know, as, as Catholics, we realize that you know we have we have more important things than mm-hmm. there, there is evil that can't be done to you. We can only do to ourselves, mm-hmm. and you can only do that evil to yourself by committing that evil. Mm-hmm. So you, it's I mean that was a, a rather profound thing is is to understand that when I when I do something evil, I'm hurting myself myself far more than I could hurt anyone else at a at a mm-hmm. at a deep level. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess this this kind of goes to the what. Um, Kicking homeless people out of playgrounds, kind of thing. That was um, that was the weirdest week. I think I've ever, that was like a, I, I tweeted out, I'm like, this is an argument between people with common sense and people who are autistic. 
That was that was how I saw almost every argument happen. There were good people on both sides. I want to say that, like from sure. people on both sides. But most of the arguments I saw was just common sense versus autism. Well, I mean, that's the, that's the kind of distinctions we need to, we need to make, though. Is is you know, if, if you're sort of gonna, if you're if you're basically gonna be every state action is inherently evil, yeah. like you said, you can you can get yourself into some trouble that way. Now you can you can say that the the state is inherently evil and it's going to inherently try and commit evil, but you know ultimately the state isn't a thing. There yeah. there are people that that participate in it that sort of form the system, but there are, there are individuals taking actions that are moral or immoral. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you've um, you know if, if a state actor is doing something that's moral, that person is doing something moral. They're not their action is not inherently evil. They might be using power. That's you know there's a whole other bunch of issues, but. Yeah, it's it's we, we've left we've, we've entered the realm of the, subject, the subjective at that point. And we're not talking about people actually doing things that are good or bad. Yeah. I mean, the whole park debate, like my argument for it was basically if we can say homeless people don't have a right to go into public schools and take naps in the classroom because the public schools were made for the students. I can think we can say the same was like the public schools were made for the neighbors in the park and the area and the um the park was made for the neighbors and for the kids and they are not the intent. Homeless people are not the intended use for it, and drug use is not the intended use for it. Therefore, they do not have the right to use it in the same way. Those who are robbed, robbed the money for, promised it, and are the intended users of it have right have rights above the homeless to it. But that was the that was my argument. Some people said it lacks uh, Lockean property rights, which I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess it lacks some property rights argument. But in the end, I don't care. I mean, this is the the issue with with public property in general is is that we there's there's some confusion about about who has rights in that property because it's I mean it's obviously not in a state of nature. You yeah. know, there's 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 a park, there's a playground there. Someone's done something there, mm-hmm. but but who has those rights is confused because it's it's owned. You know, it, it, those the the. Um, either the tax money or whatever it was that was used to build that park mm. was taken maliciously or by force. Yeah, and so you have you know you have people that that did contribute in whatever way that three resources are actually building it that that did homestead that place, but they're not considered the rightful property owners, and, and so we have this huge mess of okay, well, who is the rightful property owners? Yeah, but what we can be pretty sure of is it's not the it's not the homeless drug addict that's passed out on the on the swing set because yeah. he probably doesn't have a right. You know, we don't know exactly who does, but it's probably not him. Probably not him. Um, this kind of turn gears, this kind of turn things over again. What are some? So I'm Catholic. You're Catholic. Both anarchists. I'm sorry. We both heard a lot of objections to why Catholics can't be anarchists because anarchists or libertarian because libertarian is liberal, and why you can't be liberal Catholic, libertarian Catholic, or anarchist Catholic. What are some? What are some of the arguments you've heard against the merging of these two philosophies? <sighs> so the, the ones that are probably the most common, and I think that are probably the most easily refuted, are the the ones from Scripture. I can't remember. I can't remember if it was you that posted this recently. Or it might have been Daniel. But someone had the the great article from uh, Mises.org about the rent under Caesar, that which is Caesar's. Um, and people will try and sit there and say, well, well, look, clearly here in scripture it says, you know, you're supposed to you're supposed to pay your taxes, you're supposed to to give, you know, what's proper to the government. Or they'll they'll reference the um, letter to the Romans, you know, submit yourself to authority. And I've read a couple other good refutations of that, but I think mostly it's been scriptural arguments. Mm-hmm. Um I think the other ones either amount to people who don't really understand Catholicism or they understand anarchy. Yeah. And I think, and part of that is this sort of, you know, um, um, this ANCOM kind of tradition that when people think anarchy, they think anarchy communists, they think. Um, shops, Antifa. 
Exactly. Or even just more fundamentally, they think they'll, they'll like we were talking about hierarchy pre previously is they'll have this idea of, okay, well, if you believe in anarchism, you don't believe in any kind of, of hierarchy. There can't be any kind of organization. Therefore, which, you can't be a anarchist. <laughs> yeah. And then that would, that would actually be a, a clear contradiction as you, because you, if you believe you, to be Catholic, you have to believe in the natural law. You have to believe in the natural order mm -hmm. and, and anarcho communism would directly reject that. So yeah. I, I think it's mostly just sort of a lack of any, any deep thought or deep understanding. And it's so frustrating that people will just turn off that quickly instead of saying, you know, like, you know, something like my avatars, they'll see, they'll see Rand with a cross and be like, idiot. Rand wasn't a Catholic. It's like, <laughs> maybe, maybe I know something that maybe I've thought something that you haven't and you might want to engage this more deeply. Impossible. Uh, people who on Twitter, people on Twitter who disagree with you are smarter than you. It's just, it's just a law. I mean, it's, it's more than that. I mean, even if they think I'm an idiot, like, do they do they think that they they know absolutely everything, or that they're just that they're omniscient yes. in some way? Yes, I do. can't. There was, I'm there was somebody that was actually I wasn't even trying to argue with them. I was just, there was somebody. I think you actually started this because you keep uh, you seem to be a pretty good shit stirrer on Twitter. Yeah, um, yeah, but but he was he was getting upset about something. And, I, and his argument just made no sense to me. And I just started tweeting back. I'm like, okay, I don't understand what it is that you're asking. I don't understand what it is you're saying. Can you please try and explain this a little better? And I think he called me a dumbass and blocked me. And that was sort of the end of the exchange. Because it, it's it wasn't it wasn't immediately obvious what his argument was to me, or that or that I was clearly this was some kind of antagonism that I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Like is that yeah, I mean it's, it's this lack of critical thinking. It's okay, I have my view. You don't you don't immediately um Acknowledge that, yeah, clearly I know what I'm talking about. So therefore, you're an idiot that, that can be ignored completely. Yeah. Now, that, that is my attitude to people who say we, uh, you can't objectively know reality exists on Twitter. <laughs> that is my reaction. Like, okay, you keep, if you, or the, like, Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle are both kind of hated philosopher, philosophers who rejected common sense. Like, who was the guy? Um, There's this Greek philosopher who said, things don't ever change. We just think they change. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, I know exactly who you're talking about, and the name's going to escape me. Yeah, it's gonna escape me. I, I, I don't know about it because Ed Fazer talked about him in his uh, Aquinas for Beginners book. Mm -hmm. And um, Ed Fazer goes a great point that Aristotle and Aquinas had no patience for those who lack common sense because common <laughs> sense is, a, is one of the beginning points of philosophy. Uh, and that's me on Twitter. If you lack common sense about reality around you, I'm blocking you. I'm, I'm not engaging with this. I have better. The time I would spend trying to explain to you the table in front of you does exist, I could read two books. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I could, I'm gonna go read two books. I'm not gonna do it. I, I completely respect that perspective, and this is this is just me being being such a uh, a Twitter novice. Is that I, I'm sitting there like, okay, I, I I have a hard time not just feeling bad for these people. <laughs> like clearly, like you were you were you are fundamentally misunderstanding reality. Like it's I don't think you're an evil person. You just have zero common sense. Something something horrible has happened, and it happens to a surprising number of people. Something is is horribly wrong. That you don't think things exist, like, and I and I, I think I mean the the my answer ends up being okay. There's I can't help you, but I, I, I'd end up just pitying these people. It's like I would love to try and engage you in a conversation to say okay, just just shake you and 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 try and help you see just the very beginnings of any kind of actual knowledge. Mm -hmm. But it's it's probably more efficient just to block and move on. Face to face is much more effective. Uh, what was sure. In, in the um, oh my god. In the Saints versus Scoundrels episode, I was talking about earlier with Renee Descartes, when he says, you can't trust the senses, the host dumps a glass of beer on him. And says, how did this get here? 
and I, I, I don't know. I always love those like practical examples of like, no, here's why reality exists. I'm going to splash some water in your face. Yeah, and and, and you know, like like we were saying earlier, if you as soon as you try and think about it critically and go and go past step one, it's obviously it obviously contradicts what you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so again, either you, either you think deeply, either you think these things are true and think deeply about them and drive yourself completely insane. Or you just say, like, no, I'm, I'm not going to think about that too deeply. I'm not, I'm, I'm working in theory. You're, you know, this is, I'm, this is at a, at a, at a higher plane than, than what's actually happening in front of me. Cause that, that obviously isn't relevant. Let's, let's talk about Nietzsche for a little bit. Have you read, have you read any of Nietzsche or actually like looked into Nietzsche at all? Cause I can't seem to comprehend any of it. Very little. Um, yeah. Again, the sort of the, that that Randian, the only philosophers worth reading are, are Aristotle, Aquinas, and Ayn Rand. Um, but I've, I will say, and I, I think this is this is the one thing I will say for a lot of more modern philosophy is I think it tells you it can tell you a lot about the modern human mind. Is I think yes. they do they they do understand something about the way people think, even if it's a defective way of thinking. If they don't necessarily understand why it is that people think that way, I think I think Nietzsche in particular can say a lot of coherent things about about sort of the the broken human mind i think and he's a great example of someone that you know started with these insane principles and, and followed through on them and it drove him insane because he that's actually was willing to think deeply about these things yeah he's, he's and that's what i want to talk about a little bit here like he 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 diggle crazy i mean his um when the horse was being beat to death he grabbed the horse and screamed i feel your pain or something like that and then like had a fever or something got sick and died it was he was he was I, a crazy person and and i mean you know, no idea if there was some some biological reason for that, but I th- it's it's not at all surprising that if you were if you try and think deeply and you try and actually use what is an insane starting point, and you know, it's Descartes' starting point. I think, therefore, I am, and and that's that's all I can know, and everything else I have to reason from that. You're 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 either going to give up on it and say, okay, this doesn't make sense, and I'm going to sort of implicitly let reality sneak back in, or you're going to go mad and scream at your horse. Absolutely. Okay, we only got 15 minutes left. I got a few more questions. Um, sure. So we, we, we said a lot. We said twice on the podcast now. Only philosophers reading are Rand, Aquinas, Aristotle, for Rand's quote. Who would be your top four philosophers that people have people should be reading? Top four philosophers people should be reading. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll... Uh, and I, I think the, the clearest most brilliant writing I've ever, most clear thought I've ever seen put to put to paper is Thomas Aquinas. And I don't think I would not recommend people start there. Yeah. Cause I, 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 because we don't, we don't live in the, in a culture based on what Aquinas thought we live in one based on what Kant thought is there's so much confusion. I think he's almost impossible to read is I think you have to, you have to get someone a little bit more modern if you're going to try and work your way back to that. I I think Rand, I think Rand is good uh, mm-hmm. Peter Kreef and Ed Fazer both have a Aquinas for beginners lectures and books. Those are great starting points to kind of beginning to begin to understand mystic ideals. Mm-hmm. So I would, if you want, if you really want to just read Aquinas, do those first because you're going to understand Aquinas better. Right, and I think um, Jacques Maritain is also very good for um, Thomas Thought. And he's uh, he's yeah. sort of forgotten. I, I, you have uh, I think had a couple of things that you read from him recently. But he's he's fantastic. Oh, I, I, um, I'm, just, I'm obsessed with him lately. <laughs> uh, I, I am lo- everything I read from him or find from him. I'm just like I love this guy. I am becoming obsessed. <laughs> um, oh. So I will say, and 
as goes without saying, I think Rothbard in terms of, of anarchism and libertarianism is one of the clearest thinkers, but also just the best writer. Like, you know, I've, I've yeah. you can, there's a lot of good things from a lot of the older Austrians and from um, Hoppe to some extent, you know, they, they clearly have some very, very good, profound, deep insights. None of them write as well as Rothbard does, right? Yeah. Rothbard writes for public consumption better than any of them. Um, and it's it's engaging and entertaining and clear. So I, I, if you're not reading, if you don't, that, that's again, that's where I got my start. And, and you know, mm. if I tried to pick up human action first or um, any Hoppe or, you know, something or even, I mean, and because um, Rothbard can do it too. Rothbard can certainly write dense academic tomes. But if you, if you if you start with his stuff that's made for public consumption, it makes it a lot more, a lot easier to get into yeah. some of the, the the meatier topics because you have that that background that's very understandable and very accessible. Absolutely. Um, like I said, I, I would say people to read, people if you this one philosophy people to read. Um, start with Aristotle because I think starting at the basics is where you should begin. Like really, own philosophers to be reading, I think are Rothbard, Aristotle, Aquinas, Pascal. And Pascal's easy to read because he didn't, he died before he really write anything. Um, <laughs> but it's what was it? Peter Queef said God's gift to us was uh, killing Pascal early because if Pascal finished his book, it probably would have been boring. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's, so I, I think Aristotle, I think, has sort of the same problem Aquinas does. Is I think it's very hard for moderns to read him and get him. Is is yeah. it can? It, well, it, it depends on how inundated you are in modern philosophy or modernist modern way of thinking. Like if you're like young, like you're 15, you're, not, you're just kind of getting into this all. If you go to him, I think you're gonna like be able to. There's some philosophy you read and like, you get incorporated to your worldview, and then you just, you, there's no way back, you know. But if you start, if you're young and you start with Aristotle, you're gonna be much better in the gates of everything else. But I do see a point about if you're already inundated in modern philosophy, mm. modern culture too much, you're not gonna get it. Yeah, but we're all inundated with modern philosophy and modern culture, as we are we are steeped in it. And 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 I agree. Like you know, if you're if you're younger, you sort of have a better chance. And if, and you know, ideally, you get you start your kid. You know, in in grade school, you start reading your Aristotle. Yes. Um, but it's but there's a metaphysics from Aristotle. That's what we're starting with. <laughs> Eight years old. And the my favorite, I think, um, his physics, and then and Aquinas's commentary on Aristotle's physics. Mm. Is I, I don't remember who said it, but they, they compared. They said, you know, reading Aristotle's physics is like this this gorgeous city with just all this splendor, incredible architecture that you're looking at, you know, with a, at, in the middle of the night with a, holding a lantern up, hmm. and then reading Aquinas's commentary on Aristotle's, on Aristotle's physics is that same city at in the middle of noon, is you know, the middle of the day in, in bright noon sunlight. Is he just he makes these this the genius that is Aristotle so much more understandable and so much more accessible and. And I really think that's where you have to start is you have to, you have to understand those fundamental things. Like you said, A is A and you have to understand what that means. And, and that's when you can actually start that. That's when you can start knowing things as so you can start your philosophy and you can actually have some wisdom. Absolutely. Well, we got a few more minutes left. Um, maybe, I, don't, maybe, I, mean, I don't know if you noticed or not, but there seems to be a distinction between people who are say Catholic philosophers and people who are Catholic apologists. Like compare Peter Kreef to Ed Fraser, Ed Fraser, the Trent Horn or Jimmy Akin or these other like apologist types. It seems to me the apologist types are too they seem to represent Catholicism more and they're too clean cut, as opposed to Peter Kreeft, who will crack a joke about God killing Peter about God killing uh Pascal. <laughs> like, have you noticed that at all? Because that's something I can't even notice. I keep noticing these like Catholic philosophers are so much more human <laughs> than the Catholic apologists. Yeah, and I, I think there's a, a 
find a bizarre parallel um, with the with the libertarian movement. Is you this 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 um, you know the the pragmatic versus the uh, say something like the the Meekox or something like that. Where if you're it's it's what's the goal? You know, a, a Catholic philosopher um, wants to wants to know more, wants to know more about God, wants to know more truth, wants to understand things very deeply, mm-hmm. um, which should be the ultimate goal. And the the apologist is trying to figure out what can I say to make you think the things that I want you to think, and yeah. that, that's that that sounds more insidious or a little bit more evil than I than I intended, but the that's still that's that's the case. The reason you're an apologist is because you're trying to get people to to listen to what you have to say, and depending on what your approach to that is, you can you can lose a lot of your of your intellectual curiosity a lot of your humanity like okay well i i can't say that because i don't want to turn turn them off about this or i don't want to bring this up because that's sort of this whole can of worms or oh okay i don't want to misrepresent this so i shouldn't bring this up whereas if all you care about is truth you know you you dig into whatever idea you want to crack whatever joke you want to and you can you can be a lot more comfortable in your own skin because you're not worried about saying the wrong thing um and there's uh, there's certainly room for both but if you if you and if you if all you're interested in philosophy and no one ever cares what you have to say, you're not going to be a very good apologist. And yeah. you know, to to some extent, we should all try and be apologists. If all you care about is okay, what do I need to say? What what magic set of words can I put together that will get you thinking the things I want to think? You've abandoned your own like you've you've lost too much of what is interesting and valuable and human about the about the faith that you're trying to share. Um, to where even if you manage to convince somebody, even if you manage to convert, you know, get them get them going to mass or whatever it is but they haven't learned anything or don't understand anything, then what, what good is that? If they, if they don't actually understand, and, th- and I think this is probably the, a, a big problem I, that I see, at least in the, in the, in the modern church is that, okay, well, you know, we're getting, we're getting butts in seats, people are showing up and that's sort of all that matters. You know, we, we, we've got our head count up. We'll worry about the rest of it later. If yeah. you sacrifice the understanding, what was the point? Exactly. I think Matt Walsh, who much as I don't like him, uh, had got right in his book, Threats of Cowards. But he was he was most interested in having a if you if you trim the fat from the turret, you have a turret that's more on fire and actually doing good work. It's going to be better than having a slow fatty turret that doesn't do anything. And um, I must say I don't like him. I think that's a fair point. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a very good point. And it's it's you know what should the goal be? You know the the goal should be truth. The goal should be knowing God. The goal no no should be the goal should be the the most pure well-reasoned deep faith that we can have Mm -hmm. and and if you are compromising that to to convince more people of a watered down version of that then you've you've lost the point of what you're doing in the first place absolutely well guys it's been a lot of fun um i'm cast where can uh what can people find you at yeah, so I'm on Twitter um, at Einkath uh, and have a Substack, uh, anarchocatholic.substack.com. Uh, appreciate you having me on. Uh, we should we should uh, do a book review together at some point. I was just gonna actually, I was gonna <laughs> say once I end this once I end the stream, I want to have to talk to you for a little bit longer about trying to figure out a book we can do. Perfect, perfect. So, well, guys, it's been a lot of fun. Um, read more books.